Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender trembling moments. Welcome, everybody. It's time for another Hollywood Godfather podcast, and I'm happy to say he's not a relative, but I wish he was my cousin. This guy. Chris Russo, you probably know him as Mad Dog. We did a show a few weeks ago. I'm walking down the street, people yelling out the window, man, I heard you on Mad Dog, I heard you on Mad Dog. I mean, that's the power of Sirius Radio, and he's with us today. Chris, I want to introduce you to Pat Picciarelli, my co-writer, who wrote the book, Hollywood Godfather. Wow. And the three of us Hi, are here. Hello, Pat. How are you, buddy? Good. All right. Well... Again. And Johnny, you were great that day. You were great that day, Johnny. That's only you, that you day. On your, I do that once form. a year. <laughs> yeah. but, but I got so many calls, and I wanted—I couldn't wait to talk to you because someone said James Kahn or somebody from his camp called in. No, they, uh, James Kahn uh, was in the Hollywood Reporter, and he said that he did the scene with the you getting beat up there on the streets with uh, some stuntman, I forget his name, Pat something, I believe it was, Probably. and they planned it out the day before. And I said on the air, hold on now, that's James Kahn telling the whole world two weeks before the 50th anniversary that he did it with a stuntman when we all know that Johnny told us that he had a rib broke and a tooth and everything else. That's Kahn, who I don't pay attention to. That's where <laughs> that came from. He okay. did not call in. He was trying to do a little preventive uh, negativity by saying that he did it with the stuntman and not with you with that famous scene. Oh, we had a stuntman there, but I did all the... I had him throwing over the... I mean, you saw him biting my... hitting me with it. That's how it's stupid this guy is. I mean, Jimmy <laughs> Connor and I, I mean, you know, we, we've never had a good relationship that day one. Plus, he tried to get me killed by accident, but it was a joke... With you know, um, oh, with the thing at Tut Shore, yeah, hundred percent. Oh yeah, yes. no, I mean that was was at Jilly's actually. Oh, with, Jilly's. Okay. With with the uh, Junior Persico, which you don't play a game with this guy, and and Pat and I lucked out because we wrote about it in the book, and I was the only guy I was worried about a mobster that was still alive, but he wasn't on the street. He was doing life. He died a week before we released the book. Oh, our, really? Our wow. agent said, how'd you arrange that? <laughs> talk about perfect timing. Perfect timing, Patrick, you're right. Yeah. By the way, talking about uh, uh, Persico, his uh, uh, heir, Andy Russo. How many Russos are there in this world, man? It's yeah, just there's a lot of us. Like Smith. It's a famous, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very common last name. Apparently. Uh, anyway, Andy, uh, known in the street as Andy Mush Russo, uh, took the throne from uh, Persico when uh, he went to prison. He passed over his son, but I think his, his son, Ali Boy, was doing time at the time, right, Jim? Yeah, they both simultaneously went in jail for life. All right, well, uh, Andrew Russo was the heir apparent to the throne after uh, uh, Carmine the Snake went to prison for life, and he couldn't hand it over to his son because his son got time with him. I think he's doing something like 30 years, so they gave it to this guy, An Andrew Russo, uh, and he just passed away yesterday at 87. 
Wow. I mean, did he have actual command of that uh, family or what? 87 years old. Was no, sick. he had it, believe me. I'll tell you right now, I mean, the Colombo family is under the, you know, not in the limelight anymore, but they're still very active. I don't know what the hell they're doing, but uh, they were very active. I don't know what's happening now after Andrew Bush goes. But he was a nice guy. Well, he died. He died under indictment. Right. Yeah, he, he, he got indicted. So uh, he's gone. And the two people that got indicted with him are also very up there in age in their 80s. They were also indicted. Uh, so the uh, uh, Andrew, Andy beat the charge, basically, because he died. But the other two, uh, looks like they're going to prison. Oh. So, anyway, I just thought... But, I Russo, but Russo is a common name. There's no question oh, yeah. about that. Well, you name. know, it's interesting, because my grandmother is from Naples. She's a Russo. My grandfather was sent from Sicily to come to America because they didn't want to send him from Sicily because he had too much attention because his brother was Angelo Russo, who was one of the major bosses in the Gambino family in Sicily. Wow. Which people don't even know. And Carlo Gambino, at the age of 17, came to America as a made guy. They made him before he came here to create the five families because yeah. the Moderanos were abusing the Italian immigrants. <laughs> it's an incredible. You guys, you guys put it all together in that great memoir, and you gave us some of this stuff there too, Johnny, when you came on here three or four weeks ago. Right. But how long have you been on the radio, Chris? Uh, I started in radio in 1983 in Orlando, Florida. Uh, I should say in Jacksonville. And then I went to Orlando in 84, and I got to New York in 87, and I worked at OWMCA Radio. I was an ad and broadcasting magazine. I filled out a, I set a tape, and they hired me. I was 27, 28 years of age. And they uh, put me on air at WMCA, and WMCA went all Christian two years in. They were a talk station, a long, legendary one, and I ended up at WFAM. Now, WFAN started as the first all-sports station in America uh, in July of 87, and I got there in December of 88, so wow. a year and a half later. And lo and behold, you know, their afternoon drive host was a fellow by the name of Pete Franklin, had a contractual issue uh, this summer of 89, and that is when they got the idea of putting Mike Francesa and I on together two years into the start of the station and so we began right around labor day weekend of 89 and worked 19 years together so and you know we hit it at a perfect storm the teams are good uh the giants won a super bowl the mets were pretty competitive um you know the knicks had pat riley the rangers won a stanley cup in 94 so there was a lot going on in sports and we were the sports station in new york we also went to 66 from 1050 on the dial. 66 is a lot better, 50,000 watts, not as much interference. So you put all, and we had Imus, who did the mornings. So you oh, put wow. all that into the equation, and I hit WFAN with Mike at the absolute perfect time, and I did two decades, 1 to 630, Monday through Friday. Can't ask for a better break than that. Jesus, it's amazing. So you got over 30 years just with that network. I had 20 years with FAN, and then I left FAN in 08 because Mel Carmazan, who owned Infinity Broadcasting, went to Sirius, and he gave me a channel. 
So Mel Carmer's in, in, let's see, when was that? That would have, uh, summer of 80, of 08, said, Chris, I'll give you this. Give me a five-year contract, guaranteed. Give you this, 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 and I'll name a channel after you if you come. So I left Mike after two decades to start at Sirius in 08. I've been in 08 for 13 years. So that's 33 years, essentially 32 years in New York City. Which is not that easy, really more than that, because I got it in 35 years, which is not easy in New York doing all that sports talk. And for the most part, it's been sports talk, usually in the afternoon. And I've been at Sirius since 08. And then I've added a few little things here and there along the way. But I'm a radio guy. I love talking sports on the radio. That is what's made me successful. So I stick with it. Well, people love you, man. You say 33 years, you might want to think about making this a career. What do you think? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, lucky. I mean, it's all, you know, you know, you, you know how it works. You got to be in the right spot at the right time. You got to take advantage of some breaks. Again, I hit it in a perfect scenario. The 90s in New York were a big deal. You know, Pat Riley coached the Knicks. They were very, very successful. Parcells coached his second Super Bowl with the Giants. That was always important. Um, the Mets always had a lot of things, sometimes negative going on, a factor. The Giant, the Yankees, Joe Torre got there in 96. They won four championships. The Rangers won their first cup in 50 years in 94. And I chronicled all that, Mike and I. So from that standpoint, I hit the New York market really at the absolute perfect time. Mike is from Long Beach. I'm from Syosset, Long Island. So you put the two New Yorkers on an afternoon drive station on the first all-sports 24-hour radio, and it hits and people like it, it's going to become a big deal. So that's where I was, you know, right place, right time. You had to have some talent. I don't want to downgrade it that much. <laughs> we, were the perfect, we were the perfect combination. That's Mike fabulous. and I, you know, he was a tremendous encyclopedic sports guy. I'm a little goofier. Uh, you know, malaprops, the language and all that, a little bit more hysterical. But the two of us together, he was funnier than people thought. I was more knowledgeable than people thought. You put the two of us together, and you can have a long run of success. Of success, and that's what happened. You know, you talk about Imus uh, 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 for for a second. If it wasn't for Don Imus, you talk about being in the right place at the right time. If it wasn't for Imus, I wouldn't have published my first book. There you go. He that's loved it. cops, and I and uh, I didn't know the guy very well when he when he left. Uh, uh, he he was with uh, uh, ABC, I believe. Uh, he uh, had a little uh, substance abuse problem. Yeah, he was at WNBC. He was at NBC, WNBC. Pardon me. He used to uh, come into the twenty fourth precinct on a Saturday night so we could feed him. Uh, he was in bad shape back then, and he he talked about it. He, uh, no, he, he did. That, yeah, he was very upfront. So anyway, I uh, he he didn't not only not remember me, he didn't remember the eighties. I mean, he's he, he was gone. But I wrote this manuscript, and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know anything about the industry. And I just walked into Silver Cup Studios without an invitation with the manuscript in the late 90s. And uh, I talked to the security guard. And I, I told him I was on the job. I wasn't at the time. I was retired 10 years. I lied. But that got me into Seamus. And I walked in with the manuscript. And the rest is history. He did everything he could possibly do to get that book published. He gave me his agent, uh, Esther Newberger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and she very, very over- important agent. Very important. And he was at the time he was uh, he was sponsored by Barnes and Noble. He had his Imus pick of the week, 
he he made my book uh, the Amish Pick of the Week for like two months straight. I owe everything to that guy. Yeah, he was great at selling books. I wrote two books too, and he was especially with the first one. He did a he was tremendous. I remember he put FAN needed a morning show because in its infancy there in 87, 88, they didn't have a morning. You got to have a morning show on radio. You got to have a show where people wake up in the morning, put the show, put the radio show on, and then they stick with the channel all day long or yeah. the station. And Makes that's sense. what I did. So when I got there in October of 88, and then they switched to 66 from 1050, and then Mike and I started a year later. I mean, that's so that's why I say it was a perfect storm. Everything kind of fell into place at the right time. Plus, the New York teams are good. And if yeah. you're doing a sports talk program in a city like New York, you need the teams to be competitive. Yeah, you don't want to do lousy sure. teams because people are going to lose interest. The better the sports teams, the higher the ratings. So if the Giants, the Knicks, the, the, all the Rangers, when the teams do well, you do well. So that had a lot. And they won. Look, the Giants won a championship. The Yankees won four championships. The Rangers won a championship. The Knicks with Riley got to a got to an NBA final. You had Jordan. You had a lot going on. So we were very fortunate there. Very fortunate. So tell me about the Gianni's appearance on the show. I heard he made a splash. Hey, he was tremendous. Now, what we did was, you know, I knew it was the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. And who doesn't love The Godfather, the movie? I had, of course, read the book. had seen the movie, you know, plenty of times. I've seen it since, by the way, just to get a little feel again. Yeah. Uh, since Johnny was uh, appearance. And I spoke to my producer and I said, you know what? We need to get somebody on here. You're not getting De Niro. You're not getting Pacino. You're not getting, you know, I understand, you know, you got to have some limitations. And I said, how about, how about Carlo? Now I didn't know Johnny at the time. I said, how about Carlo? And Eddie looked all the information up, tracked uh, Johnny down. And next thing you know, um, we set up a date. We put an, uh, the, I, we put the uh, zoom together we did it at, um, I believe we did it at, we may have done it at three. I think we did it at three. We led the show with it. The day of the, it was March 24th, because that was the 50th anniversary the, of the movie being released. So we did it at three o'clock, played it. He stayed on to 4.15, and we did an interview, you know, basically talking about his life, the movie, his, how he got the part, all those, all the things that you, Marilyn Monroe, all the things that you can think of that would be interesting. And people, you know, they love that stuff. You know, Johnny's life is an incredible life, uh, negatively and positively. And they love that stuff. And so you have, a lot of, you have a lot of people calling in. Yes, sir. A lot of people responded to that. Uh, you know, you have what you have and you have something like that on serious. You first have you have the people, the core audience, my fans listen and my fans love that stuff. Who doesn't love the Godfather, a 50-year-old guy? I mean, he loves that. Secondly, word of mouth. Hey, you know what, Louis, uh, you got to hear what Russo did today. And next thing you know, they call me. How can I get a copy of it? How do I hear that? So we put it up on demand. We put it on SoundCloud. We put a little clip on it on the Mad Dog Unleashed Twitter page. And all of a sudden, it swells. And so that's what we did with Johnny. That's why Johnny leaving his apartment one day has the doorman say, hey, I heard John Russo. He may have not heard the whole interview. He may have heard a snippet of it. And, you know, he may have heard a little three-minute clip. He may have heard, you know, a highlight. Because who's sitting there listening to, you know, it's radio. They come and go, they in and out with the radio. They're out of the car, into the car, out of the car, into the car. They may not listen to the whole hour and 15 minutes. 
So that is what we did with John. And John, you know, we put that out there for a week. So if you want, if you're a Christopher Russo fan, and you heard that he put a guy like Johnny on, and he was on for an hour and fifteen minutes, and you like, and you like Russo, and I do a lot of these kind of interviews anyway, these kind of off the sports deal. You're gonna find that. And you're going to get a kick out of it because he was so good on the air. Thank you. I can interview. I'm a good interviewer. But unless the subject matter knows how to answer the questions properly and is engaging, the interview goes nowhere. I, I could have Serena Williams on. If she's not into it, it's a dope. I have nothing I can do. I can try to get the best responses. But the person I'm asking the questions to has to be willing to expound express themselves enjoy yeah. being on well he does that's why it was a good spot i tell you gianni definitely is no robert de niro <laughs> who doesn't say anything <laughs> doesn't uh, say de niro says nothing at all <laughs> <laughs> well on that happy note gianni what do you say we uh, take a break i will be right back chris give us one second we're gonna make some money you got it baby Thank anytime you. today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco extra virgin olive oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com That's CorleoneFineItalian.com Okay, we're back. And we're talking to Chris Russo. For anybody that missed the first five or ten minutes of the show, this guy is so dynamic. He's proven himself over 35 years on talk radio in New York sports, obviously mostly, but he gave, fortunately gave me the opportunity to be on his show, and that's what we're talking about. Chris, welcome back, pal. Always a pleasure, Johnny. Thank you. And Patrick, of course, same thing. Thank you, buddy. Sirius, remember, the good thing about Sirius is when you work at Sirius, when I worked at WFAN in New York, you know, you have to basically do sports. Plus, I have a partner, so I have to do things that he wants to do, too. It's a two-man show. When you go to Sirius, which is I did, again, 13, 14 years ago, when you go to Sirius, you can do what you want. You wow. can go on the air. You could say you could do any interviews you want. Nobody's, gonna, no, nobody's looking over you. They gave me a channel, for crying out loud. And I had already been on for two decades. So when they brought me over, they knew what they were getting. So I don't have a program director. I don't have a general manager. I don't have an owner who says, Chris, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this. Chris, I want you to talk to that guy. I want you to talk. I don't have any of that. Wow. Well, it sounds you know, like you're, you're prepared- out there by yourself. You can do anything you want. It sounds which like you're is comparing- a tremendous advantage. It sounds like you're comparing this to FAN. It's no different. I mean, FAN yeah. is, again, you know, you know FAN, you got to do the Knicks. You got to do the Rangers. You got to do the local teams. When you're on Sirius, you don't have a home team. Because there might be somebody in Walla Walla who's watching, listening out in Washington. You got fans in L.A. You got fans in Cleveland. You got fans in Miami. They don't care about the Knicks. They don't really care if they, you know, what the Mets did in the eighth inning last night and how they pinch hit. They're not interested in that. So as a result, 
it gives you a wide range of doing really anything that you want because they're buying. Remember when they listen to Siri, they're buying you. It's a subscription service. It's 13 bucks a month. So the person who buys Sirius for me knows what they're getting with me. And no. as a result, they sort of, they trust me to give them good content. And that's where Johnny comes in. Would I be able to pull off a Johnny interview on WFAN? Probably, because I've been there for so long, they're not, but there's also more commercials. I'm not sure if I could have done an hour and 15 minutes of it. I got a boss who's going to say, Chris, really? But I'm serious. Chris Russo can do what he wants. It's a major, and at my age, after 35, whatever it is, years in radio, 40 years, that is a big advantage that I have my owners or bosses, per se, who trust me to do what I want because I know I'm going to give them a good show. Were you simulcast? On- that's where Johnny comes in. Were you simulcast on FAN? Yes, the Yes Network television. You have an urge to go to TV at all? Well, right now I'm doing um, right now I'm doing two things on TV. For the last nine years, I've done a baseball show on the MLB Network, on the MLB Baseball Network, and then in the last two months, I've signed a deal with ESPN. So I'm awesome. doing a two-hour show with Stephen A. Smith. I'm not sure if you know who he is. No. Stephen A. Smith does First Take which is a sports show, two-man debate show. He's on Monday through Friday, 10 until 12 in the morning. So I'm doing Wednesdays with him. Have you started? Yeah, I started on January 24th. Good, And Good luck. Wednesdays, I'll give you an example. I did it yesterday. Yesterday was Wednesday. And I did something on old NBA players, a little debate. 3.9 million views. Wow. The power of ESPN is mind-boggling because they have so many outlets. You know, you're under their umbrella, you're under their machine. So that's been fun for me the last three months because I've gotten a little more notoriety. Sure, you know, people yeah. all of a sudden, who's this guy? I haven't heard of him. I've been a local New York radio guy. Serious, not everybody's got serious XM. And all of a sudden you're on ESPN, the whole world sees you. So that's actually been a little fun here in the last- Congratulations, months. man, that's great. Yeah, it's fun. That's so great. I signed up for 40 appearances back in January. So every Wednesday, 10 until 12 there. So I have three employees now, Major League Baseball, Sirius, and ESPN. What's better than that? Hello. <laughs> at 62 years of age, you never, Patrick, at 62 yeah. years of age, they're usually throwing you off the radio. Hello. Yeah. They put it up. <laughs> Here they put me back on again for crying out loud. I love That's a it. great quote, man. It. Well, you you hold your age well. I mean, yeah, 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 that helps. It must be a Russo trait. (laughs) You know what? My father had his hair for a long time. Uh, He died in 2013. He was 82, but he always had his hair. So I have a good head of hair like you do. Yeah. So I have a decent head of hair. I'll be 80 in December. I know. December 12th, right? Right. Me and Sinatra. That's great. But maybe let me ask you a favor right on the air. Maybe you could yeah, tell him you have an old uncle that wants to go to Sirius Radio. <laughs> we, we lost him. you. Make a note. Okay. We're at 2447. Perfect. Let's go to a commercial break, and we'll be right back with Chris. We hope. Chris, we lost you. Well, he'll figure it out. He did the last time. Yeah. 
Where is he? He's in New York, no? I don't know. Oh. To be honest with you. I, th- I thought he mentioned that he's in New York. I think he's in Long Island, isn't he? Oh, maybe that's why. He's in, he's in the woods. Are you back? Put, put the... You got to put volume back on. We can't hear you. Put there your you mic. Now you can hear me. There you go. Can you hear me now? Yeah, it's all okay, right. So we went to a commercial. It's perfect. You had a question. Yeah, yeah you were talking about uh, a favorite, Johnny. Go ahead. Yeah, I said, now that we're back from commercial and making some money, tell them you have an old uncle that wants to go on Sirius. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Sirius... They give everybody channels. You know, the Beatles, Springsteen, Tom Petty, uh, you know, uh, Billy Joel. They are, they're very good. You know, they spread those channels around. They got all sorts of shows, Sinatra and everything else. So Sirius has uh, got 119 channels. I mean, it's a hell of an outlet. It really is. And they got 119. They have the two big studios. They have three studios, one in D.C., one in New York, and one in L.A. Stern. You know, Howard Stern. Right. Uh, so they got, I mean, they have, they really have everything. If you like any kind of radio, talk radio, left radio, right radio, conservative radio, CNN, the Weather Channel, NASCAR, the auto racing stuff, whatever you like, Sirius has, whatever you like. Well, that's crazy because, you know, I, uh, and we have a, Pat and I, unbeknownst to us till we started writing the book, we both had an experience with the guy you just mentioned, Howard Stern. And, you. and we went to, we went to him. Both I mean, I did so many shows for the guy. He was selling my show. They polled his audience after 20 years. And I'm one of the top 10 interviews. Wow, how about that? How about and he's that? selling it for 1995. So I see him out at the Hamptons a couple of years ago. I said, where's my cut? He said, you don't need any money. I said, you don't need any money either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pat- that's weird for Howard. Does Howard's got more money than God, for crying out loud. Yes, indeed. That's and- the best of Howard. And you would be in my top ten. No, I won't sell it because I don't do that. But you'd be in my top ten too, Johnny. That's how good you were that day. Thank you. I appreciate it. And Pat was just a security team for him, protecting his family. Yeah, we, oh, were you really, Patrick? Wow, how about that? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, uh, th- th- this was before Sirius. And uh, right uh, right about the time he wrote Private Parts. Yeah, probably about 2006, uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah but I, I was with him for about uh, about four years. I, I got him his carry license. And, uh, he, was, he was a very great guy. But, of course, I, I, you know, I, I moved. I'm in southwestern Pennsylvania now. And you know it's uh, obviously it's a hell of a commute, so that ended. But uh, yeah, it was quite a guy. I well, you we you were taking care of his kids, though, right? Yeah, uh, he had his kids had problems in school because of his father's fame. Uh, their father's fame, you know, they would be picked on, asked for autographs, and I, I had to go to the schools. I can't tell you how many times. But uh, how was the gentleman? Unfortunately, he didn't want us on his show. Uh, yeah, I know. Do? And then Stern who wouldn't give you half his money for the money for the greatest interviews that you did. And not only that, he wouldn't let us on the show to talk about the book, and you knew both of us. Really? Oh, well, he, he really changed. First Gianni, the first Gianni tried, because uh, I haven't had contact with him for about 15 years, even though I've had the contact with some of his staff. But anyway, I tried, and I got a, uh, an email back saying he doesn't publicize books anymore. Go wow. figure. 
Well, you know, know his that. book, his book, his latest book, and our book came out at about the same time. How he thinks we're competition is beyond me, you know. That was 2019, right? Yeah. So right. anyway, uh, it was a dead end, and uh, we just let it go, you know. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, we uh, I didn't know you then. I would have put you up. Next book, you're right, we're in good shape. But oh, Sirius please. is, uh, and he's been important for Sirius, too. He helped get us on the map. Um, but Sirius allows you to do what you want to do. To make a long story short, it gives the hosts a lot of freedom. And with freedom, you can do anything you want. And what person at my age doesn't like freedom with their career? <laughs> Hello. So, <laughs> no, that, that sounds great. That happens the good news, though, <laughs> thank you for that invitation, because we'll be ready October, November. For, they want us to release our book for Christmas. And this, this I mean, book is going to blow people away. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Yeah. Because we're disclosing that Marilyn has a daughter, unbeknownst to me, and who's, Not, six, who's 63, and we really don't know who the father is. And she's been basically in exile. Nobody even knows who she is. Pat, being an investigator, found out. But that's the base well, of the story. It, it, this is basically, Chris, a fictionalized series uh, uh, highlighting Gianni's life. The point here is what's fiction and what's fact. And that's what we're selling it on. See, my lawyers advised me, Chris, I, I can't, I got away with this book. <laughs> I talked about <laughs> oh, really? the Kennedy, I talked about everybody. But now, for us to expand, we want to write more books. So we have to go with a fiction, we're coming out with fiction books, with the truth. I mean, everybody's in the book yet. Sinatra, right. everybody's you, you, in it. You, you catch it. Excuse me, you catch it. God you bless you. Excuse me, I had COVID last week, so I'm just trying to get over that. I That's know, Chris told me. God bless you. Thank God. Yeah, I was, I, was not, I was not well for about six, seven days, but I feel better now. Anyway. Was that uh, your first COVID? And I had I had all the shots, I had the boosters and everything else. So yeah, sick. I, I guess I was due to get it. My wife got it and gave yeah, it, me, and I got it. And there you go. Yeah, me too. Same thing. I had all the shots. I got it. I've never yeah, had it yeah. yet. You know, I, I mean, I wasn't uh, you know unbelievably sick, but I was sick enough where I couldn't work. So, I have a question. Uh, yeah. I understand that uh, you took questions from your listeners after Gianni had left. Yes, we did. How did you how did you handle those? What, what kind I don't of remember what the questions were. I think the questions are more in the line of, boy, what a great interview. Where'd oh. you find him? Little movie oriented questions with the Godfathers. Oh. And, you know, I, I think the questions were more a fascinating story. Hard, you know, do you believe him? Of course I believe him. Why wouldn't yeah. I believe him? I mean, a book got uh, verified from the McMillan, McMullen vetted out there from London, McMullen. So, yes, I believe. Him. So uh, the questions were along those lines more so than anything else. You know, more along the lines of how good he was. That's an incredible story. Boy, can you believe that? You know, that, that kind of thing. It was more comments than they were questions. Oh, okay. oh good. Okay. Cool. Again, we thank you. That was amazing. So what what's left in your life, Chris, that you, on your wish list? Uh, well, that's a good one. What is left? Career-wise, not a whole hell of a lot. I'd like to get my golf game a little better. Uh, well, what do you want like, to do? I'd like to have a decent second serve in tennis. Um, <laughs> like to see, you know, I got four kids. I know one of them wants to be a broadcaster. We shall see. Um, 
you know, as far as the career is concerned, have fun. You know, I mean, I still like to, you know, this is performing is what it is. I mean, I still like to go out there and perform on a day in, day out basis. So as a result of that, until I don't like to talk, whether on the radio or on the TV, until I get bored with it and I'm bored, I don't want to do it and it's not in me. Until that happens, I'll continue to do it. 62 years of age, you know, they, uh, three companies, they pay it decently. Why not? So, uh, and I still got a kid in high school too. So I still got a kid. I remember I didn't get married to, I was, I didn't get married to, I was 35. And I, my wife had four kids in seven years and my first kid came in 98. So I still have, <laughs> you're not young. I have three college, you know, one kid's in, co- two kids in college, one a year out of college, one's in high school. So until he gets out of high school and gets his act and finds out what he wants to do, gets to a college, I'll work, which would be for another couple of years, minimum. But you certainly have the energy. That's for that. I have the, you got to have that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what's so important is you got to be passionate. Yeah. You know, you're the interesting thing of what you're saying. Passionate, that sells. People gravitate to people who seem to enjoy what they do. And since I enjoy the radio, they gravitate to it. Well, I'm saying, but a guy like you, I'm, like I pointed where I'm going, I could never sit home. My kids say to me, when are you going to stop? Why would I want to, what would I do? <laughs> what, you know, what would you do every day? If we, we can't be creative and passionate about what we do. I'm running six companies right now. And I'm starting another one. I don't care. I, I got the energy. Why not do it? I got my hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, you can't. You, you, you got to hang your hat on something every day. I mean, as I got a kid in junior high school. I got a kid in junior in high school. All right, if I I could quit right now. I don't have to work. Right. I mean, I've made enough money. I mean, I mean, I'm living comfortably. I mean, I don't have to work. But if I do, what am I going to do nine in the winter time in Connecticut? What the heck am I going to do nine to five every day when he's in school? <laughs> you know, my my wife and I look at each other, go crazy. So. The better off, we're better off staying occupied, keeping your mind going. Oh, yeah. If you keep your mind going, you'll, you'll live longer. So, yeah. and I love to read books. You know, I just read a great book. I'm going to put him on. I love, I'm a big book guy. And I just read a great one. You'll laugh at this. Truly Madly. It's about the love affair between Vivian Lee and Lawrence Olivier. Wow. It came out two weeks ago. Yeah, I saw it in the New York Times, so I got it. What a book. And the author, got, them. the author got a book-length story out of that. Uh, he's 400 pages. And he's a former Hollywood reporter who's the dean of media and theater at Chapman College in Orange County, California. And I saw it in the New York Times. I said, geez, let me get this. And she was bipolar, Vivian Lee. Yeah. And she married Laurence Olivier in the late 30s. They both left families, eloped, eloped, both left families. And I tell you, I loved it so much. I got to get the guy on the air. Uh, the tricky thing about getting him on the air, that might be a, too, a little too selective. Well, Godfather, everybody knows the Godfather. Everybody yeah. saw the movie. Everybody knows Carlo. Everybody knows that. How many people know Vivian Lee and, and Lawrence Olivier? It is it is sixty years ago. I know. <laughs> she died in she died in sixty seven. He died in eighty nine, and that's a long time ago. To all of a sudden now go back and look at their relationship back in the thirties and the forties. So that's a little too selective. But I probably will do that spot. I probably will do that spot. Have you read the, the James Patterson's new book? Yeah, he's got books out. I haven't had him on before. The defense but he's lawyer. Had, he's had books out. Ronnie Howard, 
Ron Howard, the great director, right. uh, did a book about him and his brother with his parents. They were great child actors. They're called The Boys. I've been trying to get him on. I've had him on before. He's doing a movie in Australia right now, so I haven't been able to find him. He'd be good. The book came out in October. You got to be curious to do a good Yeah, talk everybody show. loves, you know, Ron Howard. I mean, everybody loves everybody him. Grew I mean, up Apollo with him. 13, you know, all the great movies he's done. Everybody, Beautiful Mind. Everybody loves him. And he was a great child actor. He did the Griffith. He did Andy Griffith. Oh, he my did, God, uh, yeah. He did, uh, you know, he was an Opie forever. He did movies, American Graffiti, Happy Days. He did everything. Yeah. And his brother, too. Be a good spot. So I got to find him. He's next. That's great. But, uh, okay then. We we want to thank you, man, because I enjoyed every minute of it. you two are the best. Next book, get us a copy. We'll get you on. All right. Well, thank uh, you. Okay, got a deal, man. And got you, a deal. Thank thanks for having me today, Johnny. Are you kidding? Pat, thank you. No, thank you, my Chris. pleasure. And thank you, wife, for her assistance in the technology. Thank goodness. I'm sorry for the mix-up. <laughs> we can edit that and put it together well. Oh, we'll do it. Oh no, no we'll do it. But thank you. Really appreciate thank you. it. Thank you, Johnny. All right, okay, man, keep man. in touch. Thank See you there. Bye. We're going to take a, a quick break, and we're coming back for the mailbag, one of our favorite parts of the show. Because you know how I love to dress. La Cosa Mia will be coming soon. This is just a teaser. Each week, we'll be bringing you more ways to get in touch once their website is up. This line of clothing is from all over the world, and I'm sure you'll want to wear it. Welcome back. My favorite part of the show... I shouldn't say favorite, one facet of our show, but it is the thing that connects us to you. And that's important because without your audience and your participation, Pat and I would be, I don't know what we'd be doing. <laughs> but anyway, it's time for the mailbag. Time for the mailbag. All right, we got one here from Joe. You know Joe. You sent us an email. Yeah. Johnny, have you ever had any dealings with Tony Danza and Sebastian Maniscalco? I mentioned them together because there are clips online of this sitcom pilot that never got picked up. That's a shame because Sebastian is hilarious and Tony was great as the overbearing father we hear so much about from Sebastian's stand-up act. I, I know both. I, I don't know. I know Tony Danza for many, many years, a great guy. And we used to see each other in Central Park when he moved to New York and when he was on Broadway. And Sebastian Maniscalco, I mean, this... I don't know where this guy came from the last five years, but he's selling out arenas, and he is funny. You and know, he's original. He's he's a very visual comic. You know, uh, he's got clips all over YouTube, but his act is original. I mean, he just he's, he's not just standard comic. He's 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 ve he's very physical. He's like a he's like a Jim Carrey, only he makes you laugh. You but the only, the only thing that I, I in, in, in uh, how could I say it, uh, not in, in comparison to, but the other guy who was just like him early on was Pat Cooper, Pasquale oh, yeah. Gabudo. He talked yeah. about his father. He was a bricklayer. All this stuff. It was and yeah, he's a he, he's a uh, a storyteller. Comic. He doesn't tell jokes. Uh, he talks about his, his Italian heritage, how uh, people basically piss him off. That's the theme throughout his, his act. But he's all over the place. I mean, he he's uh, he, he acts out his act very good. I mean, he was an Irishman, you know. Did you know that? Yep. He had a small he, part he No, he, he's, he's, he's worked it all. He, he played Joey Gallo. Yep. I knew that, yeah. 
But uh, so, uh, you mean you've just seen him? You don't know Sebastian Nascalco? I don't know. I'm 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 going to go see him. He's at Mohegan Sun, but you know I don't want to be one of those guys a bother guy like that. And he's very, I mean, intense. They say yeah. so. But you can see that. So, yeah, he is extremely hot now. Oh uh, my God, uh, he's, he's everywhere. I would think he's okay. probably the hottest comic in the world right now. Now, yeah, doing well. So, all right, from Guy. Hey guys, love the show. Great stories and great guests. Love the book as well. I've always been a fan of organized crime stories, but there's something about the stories of the '50s and '60s. They just uh, set themselves apart from other eras. Speaking of books dealing with that era, has anyone read the new book about Sonny Franzese? It's called Sonny. That's catchy. I thought Gianni <laughs> might find this one interesting. And uh, he, he gets name dropped uh, once early on in a chapter about Sonny and the Copacabana. Also a question for Gianni and perhaps Pat. Were you ever at the Peppermint Lounge back when uh, John Biello and Matty the Horse owned it back in the day when the, twi the twist craze started? Big fan of you all. Keep up the fantastic work. Thank you. A couple of questions in there. Well, I, I knew Manny Agnelli, Matty the Horse, very well, and I knew he had all the clubs. And uh, one story comes to mind. I can't mention the guy who we're going to talk about right now, but I'll just say his name is Joe. And he knew somebody was robbing his money because he was getting like $5 a head at the door. So that's an honest situation. You have two guys yeah. at the door collecting $5 from a couple of hundred people. That's a lot of money in five locations. Yeah. So he said, I want to get a guy, but I don't want an Italian because it'll be too obvious. So I gave him a guy. And after about a month, this guy has a, a, a memory you cannot believe. So they meet at a place that he owned at the time. Matty the Horse, he owned Umberto's, which coincidentally, Joe Gallo got shot in. <laughs> As you just mentioned, that uh, Sebastian played him in The Irishman. And uh, Matty owned that. So he invited all these guys to a business meeting, which he used to do for different business. Come meet me down there, because he was down there a lot in the neighborhood. So they were all sitting there, and this guy that nobody knew, the new hire after a month, they're sitting there, and Maddie says, well, Joe, tell us what you found out. And they're all looking around him saying, like, who, how come this guy could talk to this guy this way? Meaning... You found out what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he, for verbatim, knew the amounts, the different doors he worked, and who took it. So... One thing that came out of this, which was very dangerous, for Maddie's nephew, who was the manager of it all, he said he's organizing it. He didn't know it was Maddie's nephew. <laughs> oh, man. So Maddie's nephew thought he had power with this guy. And he said, you're a liar. You can't talk to me that way. Well, this guy, you don't call him a liar because he is a mad dog. He grabbed him, and the nephew looked at his uncle, saying, like, stop him. He said, let me just tell you something. Your uncle can't stop me. Nobody can stop me. Nobody calls me a liar. I'm a man. And 
I can't even tell you what went on there. <laughs> that Maddie's sister went crazy on him, letting his his brother have this way with him. But Maddie, don't ever rob money from Maddie. He just passed on. But I got I knew this guy so well. But well, uh, the guys. With the guys who ripped them off in the room and in, in the murders, they were sitting there. And what became of them? Or shouldn't I ask? Well, he gave him, he gave him an opportunity to bring back the money. <laughs> <laughs> hey, seize the opportunity because that's rare, man. No kidding, because well, a lot of them were friends and friends and relatives of signing. He said, "How could you rob me? I'm, you call me your uncle and you're robbing me." Yeah. So he gave them a chance to chase. You know, save face. But I created a monster in this guy because he went on bigger and better things with the mob, even though he's not, uh, you know, uh, an Italian. But he loved Interesting. it. Interesting. Great question, oh. though. Okay, well, we're not through with the question. There's something in here about Sonny Franzese and his book. Apparently, you appear in it, Gianni. Well, no, uh, I, I knew Sonny for many, many years, and I had the privilege of dining with him just before he died at 103. He used to go to Parkside, which Tony Federici runs it, and it's his. And um, basically, the last, when he got out of prison, he used to go there a lot, and um, I knew him well. In fact, his son Michael reached out for me to do his podcast, who I never met, and he said, we know each other, and... I say again, I don't know you because you're five years younger than me at least, and nobody knows. As you, if they didn't read the book, they would know. I basically was on the road from 17 on because that's when I was doing all the business for Costello and everybody else in the world. Okay, well, I'm going to uh, check out this book, and uh, I'll get back to you and let you know uh, how you appear in it and if it's worth the. Uh it was worth anything. I'd say most mob books, and I do a lot of reading, obviously, you know, because this is what I do. I, I, I write, you know, write without reading a lot. I just uh, uh, finished the book uh, on, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy from Chicago that got, that, that got whacked in his. Uh, Spalatra? No, in his basement, uh, making a Oh, Sam Giancana. Giancana. How can I forget that name? Yeah, anyway. Now, the reason I, I thought this book was interesting and that I, that I picked up in the first place because his son, who uh, wrote the book uh, uh, along with his sister, yeah, wrote a proposal for your book, right, in 95? Yeah, yep. I read that proposal, and I'll be the first one to say it was terrible. I know. That's why I didn't go with him. Thank but, God. But this book called Double Cross about, the, about Sam, his father, Sam Giancana, was very well done. Very oh, this well is, done. This is, I thought it was a new book. That's an older book. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been around. It's been around for a while, but uh, I, it, I thought it was excellently written. And how could they screw up a, a, a proposal? And they did. They screwed it up. Oh no, they did. I'm glad yeah. they did. Look here, we are now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm the guy woke up with a hangover and couldn't write well that day or something. I don't know, but he certainly wrote a hell of a book. I was impressed with it. Anyway, moving along from Fred. Hello, everyone. Hi, Fred. Uh, it obviously goes without saying that uh, I, like everyone else, love the podcast. I have some questions about books that were mentioned previously. Is the Sinatra book still happening? Well, we, there's got a couple of questions here, so let's answer that one first. Uh, no, it's not happening. No. Uh, uh, Gianni and I are uh, writing a fiction series uh, because we felt there was a need for that. 
we didn't feel that there was a, a need for the 41st published Sinatra book. Uh, uh, so we decided to do this, and it's going to be eye-opening. It's a fiction series. It's not just one book. It's going to be several. And uh, I think everybody's going to get a kick out of it, particularly the, uh, the disclaimer. I guess I can mention the disclaimer, which is this is a book of fiction, except for the, uh, uh, for, for the parts that are true. <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna let the reader figure them out. Anyway, uh, the uh, uh, publication will be Christmas or possibly sooner, but uh, we're we're looking at Christmas. Okay, we got that out of the way. Uh, did you get yeah, any? Well, while we're on that you? subject, I want our audience to know they were enamored. Went to six printings, The Godfather, but you di- you di- dissected who the book was written about. That's what our yeah. book is about. It's fiction, yes, but it's uh, laced with all kinds of true stories. Oh, absolutely. And it, it, it'll be up to the reader to figure it out. Right. Uh, uh, some people are disguised. Some people are. You'll be able to figure it out. But, you know, publication is a litigious world. People love to sue, but they can't sue over fiction. Right? Right. Thank Pardon God. That's why we did uh-huh. it. <laughs> okay. Did you get the second part of the question, Gianni, is did you get any pushback from Frank's daughters when we were thinking about writing that Sinatra book? Not at all, because we didn't exploit it. And I knew, I know, you know, I know Nancy and I know Tina, but, you know, it, uh, after analyzing it and after this other book with, uh, what was his name? We, we just, we, we, we tried to help promote it, but, um, he was his valet, and all of a sudden now he's like, no Sinatra in and out. But I never, I met him later, earlier on, and while he was still not even working for Sinatra, and then when he left Sinatra, he was um, Tony O, and he became Don Rickles' valet. But uh, that book, I don't know how it's doing, it's out now, and we just, as you said, Pat, who wants to write another Sinatra story? And I, I really, my friendship with Frank was so sensitive through the years. And most people didn't know he was bipolar. And I, I'm not going to throw my mentor, so that I met on the radio when I was turning seven years old, really influenced my life. And there was not really anything colorful. I think we would destroy a friendship. Even well, though- not, not only that, you said... Uh, uh- who wants to write another Sinatra book? Well, we do, but the question is, who wants to read another Sinatra book? And, right. and that, you know, it's 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 just overkill. And you know, as Gianni said, who wants to talk about really, really personal stuff? That's what know? I didn't want to do. As we got into that, it, as that, you know, that Pat. sort of hurts. Which brings us to the next part of of this uh, of this question, Fred. For Patrick, you mentioned that you are doing a book on Ed McMahon. Is there any update on that? Uh, well, this relates to what we were just talking about. It, it wasn't a book about Ed McMahon. It was a book about one of Ed McMahon's children. And it was a gripping story. I don't uh, really have to go into it, but it was about her, not Ed McMahon. But, of course, Ed McMahon plays a major role in, in the in the book because he was the father. And a fascinating story. I mean, uh, our agent loved it, gave it to me, said, this is going to go uh, wild in the in the, uh, the uh, uh, publisher world, so I do the the the, uh, the proposal, and here's what we get back: Ed McMahon, who, basically, wow, uh, 
Yeah. You know, the publishing business is a young business. Anybody who's submitted books or works with a marketing uh, uh, director or a marketing portion of a, uh, a publishing house, these people are in their 20s. Uh, they, they just got out of college and they're trying to break into the publication business. They basically start out in the marketing sector. So, I mean, uh, Frank Wyman, our agent, sent me back these letters. And to a person, they all said, no one is going to remember Ed McMahon. He only died in 2011. It wasn't like he, he was uh, Abe Lincoln's valet. You know, I mean, the guy's, <laughs> not, the guy's dead 11 years. I mean, has he forgotten that soon? Anyway, uh, the publishers passed on it for that reason. Well, so you know, to... to basically verify why he may be unknown to so many people. If you go to bed before 1130 at night, you don't know who he is. <laughs> well, you can say the same thing about Johnny Carson, you know, but Ed McMahon, not only was Johnny Carson's uh, sidekick, he, he uh, started Star Search, which was the uh, uh, precursor to all these talent shows you see now. He was everywhere. He had an act in Vegas. This guy uh, at his height, and I did background on this guy, he was worth $700 million, $700 million. He died with nothing. Ed McMahon and, was worth $700 million? Yes. His well, assets. he earned talking, $700 million. I'm not talking about cash in his hand. I'm talking about his assets plus the cash. was worth, he owned houses. He owned a yacht. The guy owned everything. He owned companies. He owned Star Search, which was a billion-dollar company. It was the first show of its kind to, uh, to uh, spotlight uh, 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 talent. But I mean, how did he go broke? That was part of the story. I mean, uh, well, he was very you, generous you read with it. vibes. <laughs> he, he bankrolled people. He was a soft touch for everybody. Uh, he just let his money go. He died almost penniless. At, at the reading of his will, uh, all his kids showed up. There were seven of them. Some were adopted. Some weren't. It was $5,000 left, and he left it to the uh, to the daughter that I wrote the book about, because she uh, five thousand dollars. Wow, five thousand was all he had left. Anyway, the story was captivating. What this woman went through, and I don't want to go into it here. It's all off topic, but basically, uh, uh, publishers turned it down because they said Ed McMahon. Who? That made me feel very old. Oh, well, <laughs> I tell you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what else do we have here as part of that question? Also. On the most recent show, uh, Pat's son was on in, in place of Megan. Well, he was a welcome addition. I, I, I uh, miss, uh, miss Megan, and that brings uh, that millennium perspective. Hopefully, she is uh, taking a well-earned vacation. Anyway, thank you all for the hours of enjoyment you provide to me on a, on a daily commute from Long Island to New Jersey. Great. That was from Fred. Okay, from Will. What do you know about Dino Salini from Steubenville, Ohio, that was uh, on to set up the casinos in Havana for Maya Lansky? I'm reading this verbatim. Da Dino Salini, C-E-L-L-I-N-I. -I. Don't know. I he he went to Havana. That was before me because they were in Havana. I, was, I went to Havana in the last two, two years of it. And then, this, uh, as we all know, Fidel Castro threw Batista out and took over. So that must so have been early on. What's that? I said, when did, when did the mob uh, start in Cuba, do you know? Oh, my God, yeah. They they were in there early. They went there before uh, Vegas. Really? 
Well, they had, they had what's her name in '47 in Vegas, Bugsy Siegel, and but Maya always thought the climate and the proximity of Cuba, right off the coast of Florida, would be better, and that's what he controlled, and that's what that's all about. So, uh, so they so they were in there from the early '40s, do you think? Yeah, mid '40s. Yeah. They oh wow! There, man. Oh no. Okay, and uh, last but not least, uh, from Bill, I have listened to the book. For those of you who don't know, our book is also an unabridged audio. So I have listened to the book probably five times, and I uh, and I just found your podcast, and I decided to go back and listen from from the beginning. And that's saying something. What do we got? Like 168 wow. shows now. Yeah, something like that. Very interesting. Thank you. Very well done. So there wasn't a question there, just a comment from well, Bill. I, we appreciate. Who was his? What's his name? Bill. Bill. Bill, thank you, know. you. Yes, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Anyway, uh, that's all we have for today as far as questions go. All right. Well, thank you all. And as you can hear, um, we, we love getting your letters and we love the accolades. And if there's even negativity, we want to hear it all. And suggestions for more shows. Keep on talking it up. Tell your friends about us. We don't want to go anywhere. God bless you. Stay safe. Pat, I love you. Talk to you soon. Good night, buddy. Bye-bye. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid. You can call me. Maybe it's late, but Thank just you call for tuning me. in to the Hollywood call Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.